Hi, my name is John Kristen, and this is Out of Bounds, Daily Bruin Sports Podcast. Hi, hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Out of Bounds. I am your host, John Kristen, a senior staff writer here at the Daily Bruin. We're recording this podcast week two of spring quarter, Monday of week two, that is. So if anything happens between now and when this goes up, we won't be talking about it because we don't know what happens. Um, But either way, we're still weeks away from midterms, weeks away from finals. And yet on this episode, we're going to be dishing out grades, men's basketball player grades, that is. I could not be more excited to introduce my guest who will be dishing out these grades with me. The first needs no introduction. The man, the myth, the legend, Benjamin Royer. What's up, Ben? Nothing much. Uh, thank you for having me on this, John. And we were also joined by staff writer Gavin Carlson, who listeners know very well, who joined me for the same podcast last year and has a lot of hot takes, Stephen A. Smith level takes he wants to get off. How are you doing, Gavin? I'm doing great. I'm very excited to be Stephen A. today. I'm going to be dishing out the hottest takes not Kendrick Perkins level, but Stephen A. Smith for sure. Let's do it. There will be article forms of my grades um, also going out online and in print this week. So be on the lookout um, for that. And also look out for our top five Jaime Hawkins moments also on dailybruin.com right now. Um, that's a great read. Fun writing that. But this is going to be a fairly long episode today because we've got 10 UCLA men's basketball players to grade. Um, so let's just dive right in. Um, so in this arbitrary game, not really a game, but grades system I made up um, is we're going to rotate between the three of us. Each of us is going to nominate a player to grade and the person who nominates a player will give um, their grade first. And then the other two will follow suit and kind of debate what that grade is and what it should be. Um, sound good to everyone? Sounds wonderful. Let's oh, do it. Awesome. Awesome. I'll start us off. And there's no better place to start than with the leader of this team, Jaime Hawkins Jr. There's not much to say that already hasn't been said about Jaime Hawkins Jr. Obviously, Pac-12 player of the year, um, 17.8 points per game, eight rebounds, two and a half assists, a steal and a half per game, um, good shooting splits, uh, leader of this UCLA team for really the past four years. He just announced he's going pro. Uh, and there's just, I think it's pretty simple for this one. I gave him an A. As much as I want to disagree with you, actually, you know what? I will disagree with you. I'm going to give him an A+. Plus. Because if you're the player of the year, I don't really know what else you can do. Sure, they didn't win the national championship or something. But, uh, yeah, he was the best player on the team. He was the best player in the conference. And so, yeah, I'm going to give him an A+. Plus. I don't think much else needs to be said. Jaime Hawkins, A+, plus from Gavin Carlson. Actually, Gavin, I think there is one fault in his game, though I didn't go to plus. I think his shooting is still a little bit left to be desired. He shot only 31% from three this year, um, which I think everyone acknowledges needs to get better if he's going to be a legitimate NBA player, a good player at the next level. Um, but I think we just see that potential. Um, his shooting fluctuated. His shooting fluctuated throughout the season when he was hitting shots, like he was in January, February, where I think he was up north of 35%. He was, you know, he had some of his best games. You look at that Oregon game, I think in February, um, that was just incredible um, scoring output. But then his shot faltered in March. And that's not to say he like, breaks down as a player because he's obviously still a very good player when he can just has to drive. But that's very a very taxing style of play, um, bruising down low over and over again, like we saw in the tournament when he did that against Northwestern, he did it against Gonzaga, and that's just hard to keep up for a long period of time. And we saw in that Gonzaga game, he was dead tired by the second half of that game. Um, and so I think he played a little bit, you know, he was forced to attack the rim more against bigger guys, and that kind of put a toll on his body. So I think the shooting is the only thing that's holding me back from giving him an A+. Before I let Ben dive back in, I don't know. I feel like I'm looking at it right now. He shot 57% from the field against UNC Asheville. I mean, that hardly counts. And he shot 58% against Northwestern and 48% against Gonzaga. So, yeah, he definitely broke down in the end of the Pac-12 tournament. He's sub-50% in the last – or in all three games of the tournament, actually. Um, And you could sort of see that – I think there was obviously a lot of attention given to him in those Pac-12 games going against teams that are familiar with him. Like you said, it being at the end of the season with him a little bit more tired. Um, but I don't know. I, I just think if, if you're the, the best player in the conference, on the best team in the conference, UCLA won the Pac-12, not with ease, but you know, pretty early into the end of the season there. Um, I think he gets a lot of credit. And you know he's, he's going to be one of the best Bruins of all time when it's all said and done. So I think he's an A-plus player this year for, the, for UCLA. I'll go to Ben now. Enough of John. Yeah, I think I have to agree with Gavin here. I would give Jaime an A-plus as well. Um, I think part of me wants to say, oh, maybe his three-point shooting wasn't as great. 
But, you know, there's other guys that can pick up the load on offense, and I think UCLA struggled to find those shots this season without a Johnny Juzang, um, who may not be the most consistent player. I think as time goes on, we'll see that Johnny maybe not may not be the guy that we necessarily thought he was at UCLA, looking at his peripherals throughout those years. But if anything, I was struggling to maybe give him the plus based off his defensive effort first half of the season. I think it took Jaime and Tiger, for example, a long time to get back into the flow, back into the the, the balls to the wall defense that Mick Cronin is known for. And um but once he finally got go he finally got going, um, him in a lineup with Jalen Clark, David Singleton, Adembona, it really showed how much effort this team puts into offense and defense. And, you know, Jaime is gonna go down as one of the greatest UCLA men's basketball players of all time. People like to say that he was here for what felt like forever, but he was a true four year player. And I think um as time goes on, we're going to recognize Jaime as one of the best of all time. Yeah, you're right about that. One of the greats program history, um, just 26% shooting in marches isn't what you want for your best player. Still an A. Still one of the best players in program history. There's An A is the highest grade I'm giving today. So I'm just one of those professors that doesn't give out A pluses. Wait, where are you seeing the 26% in March? From three? Yeah. Okay, fair enough. Gavin, do you want to nominate our next player to discuss? Sure, I will nominate the next player, and I will go with who I think was probably the second best player on the team this season, or at least at the end of the season, and that was Amari Bailey. Um, I'm a big Amari Bailey fan. I'm going to call him Amari Bailey because I'm going to give him an A, and it might be a hot take. I'm looking at John's eyes right now, and I just have a feeling he's going to give him an A-. minus. He just winked at me. Um, but... Amari Bailey, at the beginning of the season, wasn't the best. Amari Bailey had a lot of pressure coming into the season, and at the beginning of the season, he kind of had an on-and-off start. The you know the injury early on did not help at all, and an injury in the middle of the season hurts anyone, but especially a freshman who's trying to get accustomed to college basketball, to, especially because he might have been a little weak. He's obviously kind of undersized for being a shooting guard. Um, but by the end of the season, this man was playing fantastic. Um, obviously, he had a huge game against... Colorado where he dropped 26 points and that kind of jump-started a fantastic end of the season for him where he had 19 against Arizona to uh, finish out the Pac-12 tournament obviously wasn't enough for a win but then 17, 14, 19 in the three March Madness games and that Gonzaga game obviously that three would have been a lot more notable if it was enough to win the game Um, it would have gone down as one of the biggest shots of the season and you know who knows what happens with the rest of that run but for a freshman to be able to do what he did in March, obviously he's a scorer first. We could talk about his defense maybe not being the best. Maybe that's why he doesn't get an A+. But based on expectations and based on how he started the season, for him to end the way the season the way he did, I'm giving him an A. And, John, I'm predicting an A- minus from you, so I want to hear you give him an A-. minus. Gavin's correct. I have A- minus written down on my notes. Um, everything Gavin said is, is spot on. He... Um, I don't want to say he carried the team in March, but at least from the perimeter, he kind of did. He played as well as anyone. Um, he averaged 17 points a game. Um, he was really, I think the key with him in the postseason, he was, he was, is he was the one guy who was really consistently able to get to the rim. Um, and he was, I mean, obviously he had the three point shot to match that too, but I think that rim pressure is really vital to like take some pressure off of Jaime, especially we'll get into Tiger Campbell later, but he had his own struggles in the postseason. So they really needed some kind of rim pressure from the perimeter and they got that from him. Um, really since, you know, um the usc game when he came back from injury and i think that i don't want to say the injury helped anything because that's not how injuries work but i do think it gave him you know a chance to kind of take a deep breath look at the season watch some games without having the pressure of playing because i think when he came back from injury he looked like he was letting the game come to him more i think the first few games he like gavin said he struggled um especially against big good competition and non-conference play like um even the maryland game they won by a lot he didn't have a good game um but he looked like he was forcing things, trying to find a shot in the mid-range, taking contested shots, taking a lot of contested twos. And I think once he's kind of, you know, had that chance to take a step back, take a deep breath, he was able to let the game come to him. And that just uh, manifested itself into probably the best march of anyone, um, maybe the best march of anyone not named Jaime Hawkins Jr. Um, and it was just very impressive to watch. And yeah, that theory against Gonzaga should have been his moment, should have been like, you know, on the one shining moment montage. But the man who should not be named made a shot better a few seconds later, breaking hearts everywhere. Ben, what about you? John, you brought up the idea of 
taking those con- contested twos. And Amari was a very good two point shooter. Let's let's not get that wrong. Um, however, um, when you are taking those contested twos, you get fouled a lot. And um, part of this is why I'm giving Amari a B. Um, shooting sixty nine point eight percent from the free throw line. It's got to be better than that if you're a, if you're a guy that loves to drive into the paint. Um, I, there were multiple times this game where seeing Amari at the line, you shouldn't feel pressure when your guard is the guy shooting the free throws. And at times, uh, I might feel better with a Dembona, who's a poor free throw shooter at the free throw line, because you're not expecting as much from him. I, I really do feel like we're looking at the highs of Amari Bailey's season. Um, there were a lot of lows as well, especially early on. It took Amari a long time to get going early in the season. And then he had the foot injury, which he cannot control, let's be honest. But I do feel that Amari still has work to improve. And if he were to return for another year at UCLA, I could see us giving him an A-plus grade next year just because of his uh, pure ability and likelihood of being an NBA All-Star later on in his career. Yeah, I agree with all that. I think we are waiting the end of the season a little bit more just since those games matter more than um, the ones at the start. Um, But yeah, like you said, he definitely had a few flaws in his game defensively. He wasn't um, at the same level as the rest of the people on the team, really. But that's expected for a freshman guard. It takes him a bit to get into it. And he was a good defender, I think, by the end of the season. Um, and there's some advanced stats. He had the worst net rating among any um, like rotation player among the Bruins by a pretty wide margin. Um, I think a lot of that is just because David Singleton was his main backup for um, most of the season. And, um, you know, sometimes those stats don't match the eye test. And in this case, it didn't. Um, but I gave him an A-. minus. Gavin gave him an A. Ben gave him a B. Ben, up to you. Who are we nominating? Who are you nominating next for us to talk about? It's very possible that in a different world with different injuries, we don't even talk about him today, but let's talk about Mac Etienne. Um, I, I think that uh, Mac Etienne may be the biggest disappointment on the team this year. I think early on in the season, he was a guy that you wanted on the floor, especially with his great offensive rebounding numbers. Um, but as the season tallied on and uh, Mick Cronin was forced to play, you know, games where it was just Kenny Nwuba and Mac Etienne at the at the five. Uh, you saw the flaws in his game a lot more, and, and that's why I'm giving him a I'm giving him a D. I just I I I I needed to see improvements, and I know it's a little unfair. He's coming off of a huge injury with his ACL, and it takes a long time to fully recover from that. But I, I needed to see a step up, and I really did not see that this year. Um, also, composure on the court. Matt gets into into foul trouble a lot, which then affects how the other forwards on um, on Cronin's team are used. And in when you're shuffling guys in and off the court, it it hurts the consistency of the team overall. And I think that um, I think Mac has a lot of areas to improve, and that's why I'm giving him such a low grade. Yeah, I have to agree. Um, I'll give him a D plus. I'll be a little bit more kind, but. He's still, yeah, he had a brutal season, let's be honest. I was one of those guys, one of those people observing Mac as a freshman that was pleasantly surprised when he came in. He enrolled early. You know, this guy from the East Coast comes to L.A. during COVID and kind of doesn't make a name for himself, but shows some flashes. You know, he was a big at a time when we needed one. Um, So obviously there's going to be a little bias there, just fresh sights to your eyes to have a big. Um, But when he was a freshman, he showed this energy that, you know, looked like potential looked like obviously he was a raw player but he's going to play hard every night he's going to fit Mick Cronin's style of play um but he just hasn't gotten better in any aspect he obviously poses little to no offensive threat which is fine he didn't need to but you talked about the fouls Ben this man never plays and when he does he fouls and Kenny Nuba used to do that he's gotten a little bit better obviously Adem struggled with that too so you'd think that with a lot of bigs that struggle with foul trouble coach is constantly screaming in that that in your ears you think mac would maybe say oh this is somewhere where i can kind of separate myself from the other bigs and maybe be a little bit more more controlled on the floor he was the exact opposite um so yeah he didn't do much he fell out of you know mccronan's favors um and didn't play much throughout the season and then once the opportunity presented himself other than the unc Asheville game where he surprisingly was five for five ten points um that wasn't much of a competition other than that he didn't do much all season so I feel like I said a whole lot of nothing there, but Mac GTM this season was kind of a whole lot of nothing, so I guess it's fitting. We'll go to John. I'll give him the benefit of the doubt. I think an ACL injury rehab is a two-year process, even though I know so many advances in medicine. And whatnot. It's still two years to get your legs out um, from under you and really um, learning to play. You know, He had a brace on for most of the season, all that. I just don't know if it's completely fair to judge him too much by this season, but I think 
the 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 point is that we're judging based on expectations and what this team needed and this team needed him to play you know especially at the end there of Dembona's injury in the um Pac-12 tournament they needed another big a third big who come in soak up minutes if that third big is averaging seven and a half fouls per 40 minutes that is kind of defeats the purpose because you need someone who can play minutes when other guys are getting in foul trouble and if he gets in foul trouble too then you don't really have that third big anymore um but at the same time you know he didn't play too too much only 218 minutes on the season his per 40 minutes um numbers besides fouls are actually pretty solid 4.8 offensive rebounds per 40 minutes um 2.8 blocks both of those are elite in the 94 or higher percentile um for both of those so he had his flashes. I think he definitely needed UCLA needed more from him. Um, but guy coming off an ACL injury, um, especially in the middle of the season, he didn't have the off season to you know ramp back up and all that. Um, so I'm just gonna go right down the middle, give him a C, um, give him a little bit of benefit of the doubt because of the injury and whatnot. And you know, some of his underlying numbers are fine. Um, but I think I think I think Gavin's point of him just being a lot of nothing was fair at times. It's funny that you say that because. I'm actually going to change my grade. I'm going to give him a C minus. I know it doesn't matter, but I feel like a C minus is a lot less harsh than a D plus. And it's funny when John brought up the ACL. I know this isn't a visual podcast, but I rolled my eyes to the utmost degree. And then I thought about it, and honestly, I feel like Kenny Nuba kind of had the season Mac probably would have had if he didn't, if he wasn't coming off an ACL. Um, because throughout the season, Mac kind of looked out of shape. He looked a bit slow. And you can kind of, you can maybe attest that to other things, but sure, he is coming off a major injury. And I feel like if you look at Kenny's season, uh, maybe some recency bias because he was better towards the end of the season himself. But Kenny did look like someone who got in a little bit better shape, was a little bit more athletic, and knew what he could add to the team. And I feel like that would have been Mac if he was a little bit, uh, a little bit more in shape, a little bit more accustomed to the speed that the Pac-12 brings and. For that reason, with the injury, I'll be nicer. I'll give him a C minus. So fair enough. Yeah, this man hadn't played a game um, at this level in what two years, um, almost a year and a half um, with the ACL injury, and didn't have the off season. So I think that's right. He'd give him a year to get in shape, um, really give it his best effort. I think next year would be more telling of what his future is in the program because he still has quite a few years of eligibility. Um, first round of grades done. We're gonna take a quick break and then we'll come right back. All right, we're back. Um, talking, doing some more grades. My turn to nominate a player, and I'm going to nominate an interesting one for sure. Center Kenneth Nuba is the next player to get graded. To follow, to continue the trend of backup bigs, I gave him a C plus compared to Mac ETNC. He played more. Um, part of that is because he had an offseason not coming off an ACL injury. Also, he's been in the program five years now. He has another year of eligibility, and he's coming back, he announced um, uh, last week. So we'll see him again next year. But I think this year he, you know, he played fine. I don't think there's anything to write home about. I think it was at times he showed he can be a serviceable backup center at this level, but I feel like most of the time he was on the court, he kind of showed why he didn't. Um, just kind of in that same vein, you look at the NCAA tournament, which is a great way to see, you know, you play one lower competition team and then you play a lot of the higher competition teams. And against the lower competition team, um, UNC Asheville, Kenny Nuba kind of looked like Hakeem Olajuwon. He was blocking shots, making highlight plays, um he had his career high which i was not is 10 points um you know fair amount uh, two blocks he just was active he was doing everything he he looked and he looked good he looked like he belonged in that level and then you see him play against northwestern and gonzaga and i don't think he played bad against northwestern and gonzaga is obviously a different beast with drew timmy uh but it just kind of showed you he's not at that level yes he was a starting center against gonzaga played 32 minutes I'm gonna I'm gonna pose this question to Gavin and Ben. How many rebounds did Kenneth Nuba have in as a starting center in 32 minutes against Gonzaga in the Sweet 16? Well, John, given that you're asking the question and the type of person you are, very deceitful. Um, I'm gonna say he had two rebounds. Gonna be honest, I wouldn't be surprised if he had zero. Kenneth Nuba in 32 minutes as a starting center of a Power Five team had one rebound oh in a goodness. game that got dominated in the paint, and I think that's just indicative of you know he's not. Uh, starting caliber center at this level, the power five level. That's obvious by now. I still question if he's even a backup level. I think he's more of a third big, and I think he was um, a little bit overtasked as that second big most of the year. He fell in and out of the rotation. Um, he was a good energy guy off the bench for sure, but you know I can't go higher really than a C plus. I think he when he played in the limited minutes, he looked good most of the time, but I think he definitely you know had his limitations, and those limitations came out um, in a, in a pretty bad way towards the 
the end when they needed him to step up. But it's not his um, fault per se, and C plus, solid, not spectacular passing grade. You brought up Kenny being kind of overtasked with his uh, his playing time this season, and I have to agree with you. I think it's more of a Mick Cronin roster construction issue that kind of falls on Kenny's you know lap here. It's like Kenny has to play more because there isn't another big man that can kind of fill that role. And Miles Johnson was able to do that last year with Cody Riley, and you know play just as good, if not better, than Cody Riley off the bench. So we the the Kenny Nwuba really never had that opportunity this season. Um, and just looking at his per game totals, he only had three games this season where he had more than three rebounds. And I think that kind of tells you all you need to know when you have a big man that's not rebounding like that, it puts you in a hole. And when you have a Dembona in foul trouble specifically, and you put Kenny Nwuba on the floor, I think there is a huge drop off that comes with that. And it's not Kenny's fault. So, uh, you know, I'm going to give him a little bit higher grade than Mac Etienne. I'll go with a C minus. Um, you know, and a lot of that's not Kenny's fault. I mean, maybe in a different world, he's that third big and he gets, you know, some energy minutes off the bench and we see him in a completely different light. But with the role he has on the team, I just can't give him more than that. Yeah. Just add one more quick bit of context to the rebounding stat. He averaged 2.8 defensive rebounds per 40 minutes per game, which ranks in the second percentile among forwards in the country, which lower number for percentile is bad. And that is horrendous. That is one of the worst marks. I mean, that there are 2% of players that had worse than him among forwards in the country. Um, not good. Well, it's unfortunate that you said that right before my turn because I'm actually going to give Kenny the highest grade of anyone here, and I feel dumb for doing it now after what you just said, but I'm going to stick with it. And the reasoning is more about expectations. I feel like these grades are based on expectations, and unless you were someone that read that tweet or, uh, during the offseason about Mick Cronin saying Kenny Nuba improved in the offseason more than anyone he's ever coached, which... If that's true, then yikes. But based on expectations, I feel like, yeah, if you guys are talking about Kenny being more of a third big than a second big, the fact that he was a second big and then started multiple games and didn't lead to any losses per se, like, sure, he wasn't fantastic in the Gonzaga game, but I don't think you say, oh, the reason you say lost that game was because of Kenny Nuba. Like, I, I don't think you say that, but I think it's a fair argument to say if Dembono was playing and starting in that game, would UCLA have won that game? I think that's, of course, true. But once again, Kenny Nuba is a 2.5 big. He might not be a backup too big. He might not be worth, uh, bad enough to be a, a three, a third big off the bench. But he's, at best, a backup big. And he's starting against Drew Timmy in the Sweet 16. Yes, Adem Bona was a five-star player who was fantastic throughout the whole season. If he's there, UCLA wins the game. They basically won the game without him. Um, but it, Kenny did what he was supposed to do in terms of protecting the rim at certain moments. I think the rebounding thing is always interesting because I do remember him not getting many boards in the Gonzaga game. I was watching that very closely. Um, but he was the first guy boxing out every possession, right? So... You know, you watch games and sometimes the center is charged with boxing someone out, not going and grabbing the board. And you see Jaime with these games where he has nine or ten rebounds. And a lot of the time it's because more Bona than than Kenny, but the big is clearing out the the opposing center and a four just gets to jump in and grab the ball with one hand and go the other way. So, you know, it might be unfair to Kenny to look at the rebounding and say, oh, he's an awful player. Yes, second percentile is quite awful, but long story short, I'm going to give Kenny, based on expectations, which were low, Kenny Noob has been like a butt of jokes in many circles of UCLA fandom or media. Um, and so for him to be serviceable, I'm giving him a B. And I'm going to stick with that and crucify him for it. Fair take from Gavin. Um, C plus for me, B from Gavin, C minus from Ben um, for Kenneth Nuba. Gavin, your turn to nominate our next player to discuss. All right, so I'm going to nominate probably the most debated person in this roster, and that is Tiger Campbell. Um, once again, grades are heavily based on expectations coming into the season, and other than Jaime Hawkes, Tiger Campbell probably had the highest expectations of anyone on the team coming into the season. Um, a two-time first-team All-Pac-12 before this season, um, arguably one of the best point guards in the country coming into the year, and I think more than any position in basketball, experience at point guard is so important. It's so valuable. A freshman point guard is is significantly worse than a 
veteran point guard just because of the responsibilities that they have to run the offense, especially in a Mick Cronin system where there's not a lot of plays, not a lot of off-ball stuff happening. It's really pick and roll, pick and roll, pick and roll. And with all that being said, expectations with Tyre Campbell were sky high coming into the season. And while I was shocked to learn during this podcast that Tyre Campbell was first team Pac-12, the fact that I didn't know that, maybe that's a little bit questionable on my part, but it felt like an underwhelming season from Tyre Campbell. John's going to get into all the statistics about how poor of a shooter he was, so I'll leave that for him. Um, but there was plenty of games. You don't need numbers to know that there was plenty of games where Tyler Campbell was not efficient from the field. Um, I do remember Seth Davis calling him out at halftime several times on CBS. We don't need to get into Seth Davis on this podcast. But Tyler Campbell was never really consistent for a long stretch of the season. He didn't have 10-game stretches of being fantastic, which you need to have when you're supposed to be the best point guard in a conference, one of the best point guards in the entire country. You have to be good for... 12, 13 games in a row, and he never really had that. He'd have a game or two where he was fantastic, then he'd have a game or two where he'd shoot 20%. Um, and for that reason, all that being said, maybe I said a whole lot of nothing, but I'm giving Tyra Campbell a B-, minus. and it, it sounds harsh for someone who is still a the best point guard in the Pac-12, at least from a award standpoint, but expectations were sky high for this guy, and I feel like some of the downfalls during the season in games against Baylor and Illinois um, and, and losses towards the end of the season can probably be pointed to Tiger Campbell. So I'm going to give him a B minus. We'll see what everyone else says. You know, Gavin, I think you have it perfectly. I have, I have Tiger at a B minus as well. And, um, I think part of that is if I, if I were to have Tiger as an A last year, you know, improved three point shooting, uh, incredible turnover to assist ratio, um, which he still did have an incredible turnover to assist ratio this year, but, if I'm looking at expectations like you're saying, there was a substantial drop-off. I think there was a drop-off early defensively. I mean, uh, I think Dylan Andrews being on the team showed that a uh, high-energy defensive point guard can, you know, be maybe a better player than Tiger Campbell in the future. So I think there is a lot of, uh, you know, things that Tiger really did need to continue getting better at, and we didn't really see that this year. Um, do I think Tiger was still the best point guard in Pac-12? Yes, I think that's easy to say. Do I think he's one of the best point guards in the nation? Yes, but when you're on a team that has such high expectations and you're falling short of them, it's hard to not see you as kind of an outlier of all the good that UCLA might have brought this year. I just want to jump in real quick and say, I think coming into the season, best one of the best point guards in the country, yeah. I think after this season, I don't think that's the case. And I know there's speculation about where he'll be next year. We don't have to get into that. But I think if there was this speculation after last season, it would have been a little bit no more notable than it is after this season just because I don't think he was a top five, top ten point guard in the country. Maybe that's crazy to say. But um, I think after last year, you expected him to be a top five point guard in the country coming in this year. Yeah, what I what I do my grades on, I, I factor in two things. Expectations before the season and what this team needed him to be for this team to excel at its highest level. And I think those two kind of go hand in hand in this case because I think Tiger had a very good year last year. Um, it was his best scoring year, most efficient scoring year, and UCLA in the offseason lost Jules Bernard, they lost Johnny Juzang, they lost three out of five starters. And I think they needed that secondary scorer um, with Jaime being um, the the top top dog in that department. And I think Mick could have went out, Mick Cronin could have went out to transfer portal to find someone to fill that void. Um, and instead, I think he just saw what Tiger did last year and said, I'm going to give him more responsibility. And I think that that was the case because at the start of the year, I know he said he said Tiger Campbell had to go Steph Curry mode, um, which I think was a bit like, you know, jokey jokey. But Tiger Campbell did shoot 40% from three last year on, you know, not insignificant amount of attempts. So I think there was hope that he could become an efficient second option in an offense. And um it just, I think he just is overtasked a bit to be a second option on a team, especially scoring the ball. Um, and I think that just comes from the fact that he can't score in the paint. He can't score at the rim. Um, he's generously listed, I think, at 5'11", 5'10", somewhere around there. Um, and he just struggles when he gets into the paint scoring against bigger guys. Um, I think he shot 38% from the field and I think 38% somewhere around there in the painted area specifically, which, you know, you're closer to the basket. Those should be the better shots you're taking. And he's shooting basically what you know, just a little better than what he's shooting when he's shooting from 25 feet away is just not what you need from your point guard. And, you know, he's rock solid with the ball. He doesn't turn the ball over. He led the Pac-12 in assists to turnover ratio for basically the fourth year in a row. 
Um, I can say wax poetic about Tiger Campbell all, all I want, and it could go on forever and ever. Um, I think he's a great player. I just think what they needed him to be this season and what people thought he could be coming in um, was just a disappointment. Um, just especially down the stretch there, he shot 21% from the field in the tournament, um, the NCAA tournament, that is, and had the game against Northwestern where he didn't make a shot from the field and scored all his points from the free throw line. And, you know, for a guy in his fifth year in the program who we needed, who you see really needed to step up um, as a scorer, it didn't happen. His shooting went down, his efficiency went down. He was just overtasked as a second option. Uh, plain and simple. And I think, you know, towards the end, you can kind of see Omari Bailey was stepping up into that role more than Amari, more than Tiger. And I think maybe if the season was 10 games longer and they could figure out that dynamic between, you know, Tiger is more of a distributor, third option, fourth option, and let Amari really score more as he was during, you know, this team is probably even better, but there's only so many games in a season. And I think time just ran out on him. Ben, or well, let me um, recap. We were all, oh, I didn't even say my grade. Um, and I realized I'd not say my grade, but I agree with them. I had B minus. I think they both looked at my notes again, as they've been doing. They are cheaters. Lies, but lies, I know we said this is going to be controversial. I don't know. I think coming in, a lot of people would have just assumed Tiger Campbell, A, A minus, something around there. I think B minus um, from all of us is fair. All of us give him a B minus. Now kicking it back to Ben for another nomination. Yeah, my nomination is going to be, you know, the guy that was brought in to be his backup this year, uh, Dylan Andrews. Um, I think that... Dylan Andrews uh, showed that his potential is kind of, you know, I don't know if there is a ceiling for Dylan Andrews yet. Um, We saw, you know, spurts of incredible play from Dylan off the bench, high energy stuff, high energy rotations where McCrona would bring him and Will McClendon on. We'll talk about Will later, but I think, I think Dylan Andrews showed that he can be a star. And if Tiger Campbell is moving on and Dylan Andrews enters as that point guard, I think we're going to, I think we're going to see a guy grow into a star, a guy that is going to be listed as, you know, one of the top point guards in the Pac-12 like Tiger Campbell was, one of the top point guards in the nation like Tiger Campbell was. So um, I think Dylan does have some stuff to work on. I think there's times where he gets a little in over his head, you know, drives into the paint. I think that's a little freshman tendency. We saw Jules Bernard do a lot of that in his freshman year uh, a while back under Steve Alford and uh, Aaron Holiday used to do that as well when Aaron Holiday was at UCLA it just you know they get the freshmen get excited they're on one of the biggest stages in college basketball and I think Dylan Andrews showed over the season as it went on and he kind of had David Singleton kind of help out help him out settle him down that he's gonna be quite a good player and, and that's why I'm giving Dylan Andrews an A minus all right, I'm not going to lie. I thought all season that I was the biggest Dylan Andrews fanboy, but apparently I'm sitting next to the biggest Dylan Andrews fanboy because I agree with a lot of the things that were said, and yet the more it went on from Ben, I started to disagree more. Um, man did average 3.3 points per game. Um, he shot sub 45% from the field, sub 35% from three. I agree. Trust me, I agree. The energy, the potential... I think the contrast from Tiger Campbell is what makes all of us, I think, fall in love with what he can be. And also, I think the contrast with the other um, new guard off the bench, Mr. Will McClendon, who we will get to, don't you worry. Um, I think all of that helps or makes it easier for us to praise Dylan Andrews. Um, but I think... It, that, what, <laughs> But I think... Once again, it depends on what your expectations were with him coming into the season, but it's hard to give someone who didn't contribute all that much um, a sky-high grade. And I was going to give him an A or an A-, minus, but just from, I guess, seeing what other people's feelings of him are, I'm going to give him a B plus. Maybe I'm just a contrarian, but I think in terms of potential, in terms of what he can be next year, I do think he can maybe do more than Tyler Campbell did. Um, but in terms of what he actually did do this season, I think I'm going to pump the brakes on myself and on my co-host and give him a B plus. And I feel like John's going to come right back and give him a sky-high grade. So we'll see what he does. I'm actually going to give him the lowest grade of the three. I'm going to give him a B. Not not terrible. Um, I think my big thing is just comes down. I think Mick Cronin said this before the Gonzaga game. Um, he, he said, and I quote, you could look at his numbers and say, well, he hasn't had a great freshman year and I couldn't disagree with you more. And what we've needed him to be this year, he's done a great job. And I just can't really agree with that more. Um, I, I think he, he just did what he needed. 
Um, he's a nice change of pace from Tiger. He got to the rim a lot. He finished at the rim a lot. He shot 70% from under four and a half feet, which is just incredible for a guy who is 170 pounds. Like that's, that's um, pretty special. And, um, I think you, uh, I think he really stepped up as an on-ball defender too, just kind of someone that could pick up from, you know, half court or even further than that when they needed. Um, especially when Jalen went down, he was their best on-ball defender. Um, but you look at two plays in particular that I think are just are tough ways for him to end this season is he was the one who missed the shot at the end of the Arizona Pac-12 title game that would have won. And he was the one guarding Julian Schrother when he hit his shot. And I think Mick Cronin said after the game, he should have been closer on him. So I think those two should not define his seasons. And I think there's a reason he's playing in those moments in the first place, which just shows you how much he's trusted and whatnot. Um, but I still think there's room to grow there. Um, and it'll, he will grow. I think he should be the starting point guard next year and find opportunities to grow in that way. Um, I just think he needs a little bit more seasoning before, you know, they say he's going to be the next, you know, future, you know, Darren Carlson, that line of lineage of UCLA point guards or something. But He's on the right track, I think, right now, and I think he had a pretty impressive freshman year. And I, I think it'd be fair to say that Mick Cronin may be holding, may may have been holding him back early this early in the season. Uh, Dylan played ten point eight minutes per game, and then you know, only you know, averaging three point three points, and you know, his sure, uh, sure, you could say he had poor shooting percentages. But I think with uh, larger sample size, we might see Dylan Andrews grow into a better player, um, and I think. Maybe Mick Cronin needed to trust Dylan Andrews a little more off the bench, and maybe that would have shown in those higher pressure situations instead of just playing at the end of the first half, playing in late in the game when Cronin insisted on having Jaime, Tiger, and others play in those late games where UCLA was already cruising to victory. Yeah, I agree. And one last nugget about uh, Dylan Andrews, just quick fact, is he led the team in offensive rating. This team was just an elite offensive team with him out there, and I think that's something interesting to look at when you look at the comparisons between him and Tiger Campbell. I is my turn to nominate. We're going to go a little quicker from here on out so um, we don't make everyone listen for an hour talking about our opinions. I'll go another backup guard at the request of someone in this room who has a lot to say about this player. Will McClendon, another player coming off of an ACL injury, just like Mac ETN. Um, and I think it would be disingenuous for me to give Mac the benefit of the doubt and not Will. And I'm giving Will the benefit of the doubt too. I'm going to give him a C for this season. I think, you know, I know part of my grade is what the team needed him to be this season. And I think when Jalen Clark went down, McCronin kind of ushered in his name as like someone who can take a lot of those like defense responsibilities and, you know, be a guy who um, can give you something on offense too. And just, he, couldn't uh, plain and simple he wasn't ready um a lot of these times he shot seven percent from three he could not score at the rim at all um he fouled a lot on defense and he just wasn't ready but at the same time he came up a very serious acl injury last year he did not have the offseason really to to um get ready get in shape and he added on um a lot of um he changed his body type he added some weight um, onto his frame. And I think he was trying to beef up to, you know, guard those bigger guys, which he did in the tournament. He was guarding big guys towards the end. And, you know, it's tough to change roles, especially at this level. He was a shooter guard at, in high school who weighed under 200 pounds. Now he's 210 pounds guarding bigs in the NCAA tournament. I don't think it's fair to put those kind of expectations on him whatsoever. So I'm not going to, you know, go too hard and say he had a terrible season or anything. He had a tough set of circumstances surrounding this season for him. And I think, you know, you can't really reasonably expect anyone to play well under their circumstances. So I'm going to give him a C. I agree a lot with what John said here. I mean, I might be a little even more positive um, about Will here. You know, I feel like Oscar winning podcast moment brewing to my left with Gavin Carlson waiting to talk, but um, I'm going to give Will a, a B minus. Um, I think Will actually most of the season when he was on the court, I think the team, it might not show in the statistics, but when he came on with Dylan Andrews, the team got better. I think with Will, there's a lot to be desired with his offensive game, but that can improve over time. Jalen Clark was a horrible offensive player his freshman year at UCLA. And yes, you know, Jalen also adds a lot of defensive characteristics that maybe we've yet to seen from Will McClendon. But I think there is a lot of potential with Will and people, you know, throwing him to the side of the street and saying and throwing him out of the, you know, the, the, the toy box and saying, I don't want to play with you anymore. Um, I, I don't, I don't agree with that so much. I think Mick Cronin truly does see the potential with Will McClendon. And, you know, I know this might come to surprises people, but don't be shocked if you see him in the starting lineup next year.
All right, ladies and gentlemen, I don't want to go too hard here. I know he's coming off a huge injury. I agree with John that he put on weight. I don't think it was as an intentional as intentional as John suggested. He did have to guard big throughout the season, so I'm sure he wanted to put on a little weight. But I, it felt like he was out of the, out of shape, especially at the beginning of the season. He seemed slow. The knee brace. Every time I saw that knee brace and him stumble around, it did make me a little bit nervous for him. And I'm. I'm sure he's a wonderful guy. He makes every three he shoots in practice, apparently. But for so many reasons, you could just say Will McClendon was the most disappointing player on the team this season. I'm giving him an F, and let me tell you why. Ben said that Jalen Clark was awful his freshman year offensively. Fine. He averaged sub five points a game. He shot 50% from the field. Will McClendon, Will McClendon, what did this man do from the field offensively? He shot 20%. From the field. He doesn't even shoot. And he shot 20% from the field. John said he was a good three-point shooter in high school. He was. He came in to be a shooter. Off the bench, you were going to need it. He shot 7% on threes this season. This guy was airballing. Side of the backboard. Dropping the ball out of bounds. Stumbling all over the place. Sure, he stripped to Bellis with like a minute left in the Pac-12 championship game. And I'm happy for him. Good for him. It was a big play. But what else, other than that, what did he do the entire season? And sure, he could be great next year. Apparently, he's amazing in practice. Apparently, he's going to lose 20 pounds. He'll be more in shape. He'll have a year under his belt. But in terms of this season, you can't be a liability. No one asked you to be amazing, but you can't be a liability. And there were so many times where teams looked at him and he got the ball and they laughed. It was like Caitlin Clark in the Final Four. Wave him off. Let him shoot the three. Nobody cares. It's not going in. He shot 7% from the field on threes. 7%. Come on, man. With five minutes left against Gonzaga, Will McClendon is on the floor. And what does he do? He misses a three wide open. He gives up a three. I can't. I'm done. I'm done. And that'll be all for me. And he'll be better next year. And you know what? I'll be nice. I'll give him three minuses because that's more than threes he made this season. He made two threes this season. As a three-point shooter in high school, I'm giving him three minuses behind his F. He'll be great next season, probably. He'll probably be my favorite player. But this season, F minus, minus, minus. The end. All right. I give him a C, then give him a B minus. Gavin, it's your turn to nominate the next player. Um, We'll go to someone who I love and will not give an F minus, minus, and that's Jalen Clark. And I'll be quick because I just took about 20 minutes of this podcast. Jalen Clark, one of the best defensive players in the country, Scratch that. The best defensive player in the country. He got the award for it, despite not even playing at the end of the season. You know, he's this one guy. He's this guy that no matter who you're playing, he's going to give you his all. Um, His stats against non-conference teams was ridiculous. He wouldn't miss anything. He'd steal about 13 times a game, go to the other end and dunk the ball. So really, we only need to examine him in big games. And while, of course, his offense left some things to be desired at points, he struggled with his little patented push shot floater that's a huge part of his game and I know that that was something he was struggling with and trying to work on throughout the season but I don't really care I just roasted Will McClendon because he was a liability and Jalen Clark was the opposite of that he was the best defensive player in the country he was solid offensively no one expected him to be amazing offensively he was good enough I'm giving him an A I think if he doesn't get hurt UCLA wins the national championship and I'll leave it at that I'll jump in and give him an A minus there's yeah not much to say about Jalen Clark national defensive player of the year um, all of those steals, everything. Um, he's personally my favorite player on the team. Uh, put his name in the draft. He still has eligibility to come back. Um, selfishly, I think it'd be cool to come back. But if he was to get drafted or signed by a hometown team, the better hometown LA team, um, that'd be fun too. So I, I don't know. I think he had a great year. I, I don't think there's much you can say that you know all the stats speak for themselves. National Defense Player of the Year, Pac-12 Defense Player of the Year, um, top five, top ten um, in steals. Um, even though he missed, you know, the end of the season with that injury. And it was just a tough way to see him go. I think that was the most devastating part of the season. I know when I was, I saw that injury in the Arizona game, and I, you know, the vibes were bad right right from the start. I just was devastated. Devastated for him because he was having such a good season. And um, A minus, not much else to say besides, you know, like you said, his offense faltered at times, but he really was this team's second best player the whole time he was healthy. Um, good season. Yeah, I feel bad because, you know, We're going to be so quick on Jalen Clark, but it's just, you know, he does everything great. I mean, what else are we supposed to say? I mean, Jalen Clark is truly the most fun player to watch in NCAA. He is always looking for the ball. 
you know, he's not asking for the ball to shoot. He's at, he's looking for the ball to take the ball from the defender and go drive it in for a layup. He's looking for the ball in inbound plays. He's looking for the ball everywhere. Uh, Jalen Clark may, might be one of my favorite players in UCLA history. And for that reason, I'm giving it an, an A+. Plus. Um, yes, there's offensive issues. I think we all know that. But you're talking about the Naismith Defensive Player of the Year. I mean, he said before the season this was going to be his Westbrook year. And I, I feel like Jalen, honestly would say that I, I don't know him well, but I, I would say that he'd probably say that he was disappointed in his, his Westbrook year. You know, he, he probably sees areas of improvement for his game still. And he's just that type of guy that wants to get better over and over again. And, uh, you know, I, I'm just sad he, we never got to see him, you know, on the biggest stage and playing in a national championship. Yeah, just an incredible year. Like you said, so much fun to watch. Every time you know he was going to give it 100% effort every time he was on the court. And just you don't have a lot of guys like that um you, you know don't want to shoot threes they want to steal the ball and they want to play defense more than they want to do anything else all right ben your turn to nominate a player we have two players left just speaking of effort i want to say, talk about the guy who i think shows the most effort on the floor and you can see it on his face talk about dembona um if there there is a may, maybe you know you can say jalen clark was super important to the team he was you can say jaime hawkins was super important to the team he was you can say tiger campbell was super important to the team he was but nothing against kenny nuuba and mac Etienne, but there wasn't a bigger drop off than when dembona was off the floor um dembona was truly the glue of the team holding things together and when you saw him go down with the injury in the pac tournament against oregon you, your heart sunk because you knew how important he was to the team it took Adem a little while to get going in the season, but once he found his groove, there wasn't a more important guy. Um, Mate Cronin, you could tell even though, you know, you could get frustrated a little bit when Adem would come out to the perimeter and try and steal the ball, pick up a foul early in the game. But that just shows how much Adem, like Jalen Clark, wants the ball. He wants to have those big moments. And can we just talk about Adem's athleticism? There isn't a faster forward or post in the NCAA. This guy burst down the burst down the hardwood like a like a linebacker on the football team looking for a sack. I love a Dembona, and that's why I'm giving him an A minus. I'll keep it quick because you know that Will McClendon rant took up about half this podcast. A Dembona, he's great. Um, one of the best shot blockers in the in the conference already. Um, we did see at times he struggled with foul trouble a bit because he was very often in the air trying to send shots away and got caught a couple times. Um, but at the end of the day, his role on this team was to come in and be a steady force, getting rebounds, sending shots away, and finishing lobs. And I think he did all that quite perfectly, to be honest. Like you said, the drop-off, easily the sharpest at the center position. Um, and I don't think it's necessarily easy to come in as a, a freshman at the center position, um, because he was a raw player, he's not very polished in terms of offensive skills or anything like that. And it didn't really matter. Uh, obviously a great situation to be in being surrounded by so many great players, but with his very specific role, he played it to a T and I'm going to give him an A, keep it simple, a Dembona. Hopefully he's back next year because you can maybe see him grow in his offensive game a bit, but a fantastic player, fantastic season. Yeah, A minus for me on a dumb great season. Uh, Pac-12 freshman of the year, look as much as you can expect from a freshman big. You know, in foul trouble, whatever. I think he's going to be the favorite if he comes back for Pac-12 defensive player of the year next year. He's just incredible on that end of the floor. Anchored arguably the best defense, one of the best defenses in the country. Um, had led the team in net rating. Was just UCLA looked amazing with him out there every time he was out there, and um, just an incredible freshman season from him. Um, for a guy, you know, who wasn't the top recruit in his class, was, uh, probably went to Amari Bailey. Um, but I think both of them had just incredible years, and I gave them both A-minuses for that reason. To wrap us up, we have one last player to nominate, David Singleton, um, who I'm giving a solid B. I think he, that says, you know, he had a good year. He shot the ball well. He led the Pac-12 in three-point shooting, 42% from deep. Um I think the only thing, and he, he played a lot of different roles for this team, and I think that was extremely valuable. You know, when Jalen got hurt, he was a starter, but most of the season he was off the bench playing that six-man role. Should have won packed up six-man of the year if had he been eligible, um, but he started too many games because of Mari's injuries early, earlier in the year. Um, but nine points a game, 42% from three, um, tried hard on defense. There's not much more you can ask, except, you know, when he was starting those games, you can see he was a bit overtasked. He wasn't shooting the ball as well, especially in the tournament. That hurt their spacing. Um, and his, his defense, you know, he tries hard, but he definitely has some limitations. He's not the biggest guy. Um, but 
just solid season from David Singleton. I think um, everyone here respects him, what he's done to this program, and it's sad to see him go. Oh, captain, oh, captain. I mean, David Singleton was the captain of UCLA men's basketball. If you could put a C on the chest, you know, you have the C of UCLA, but if you have a second C on the jersey, it's for, it's for David Singleton. Um, you know, for a guy that could have left when Mick Cronin came in, he dedicated himself to the program. A guy that slept on the floor of Pauley Pavilion as a freshman because he loved UCLA so much. Uh, there's nothing like David Singleton. I'm giving him a B plus. I think if we take out those games he started, he started one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine games for UCLA this year. Um, in three of those, he didn't make. He, he had three games where he didn't make a three-pointer. We know that's not David Singleton. I think he knows his true role is best as the sixth man off the bench, helping uh, you know give Amari Bailey rest, helping Tiger Campbell get some rest, and making the shots that when they are tired, he is he is ready to go. Um, I think that David Singleton, he's like Jaime Hawkins. He's going to be seen as one of those guys that you're just going to love to hear about. And personally, I hope he comes and becomes a coach at UCLA. Maybe next year, uh, you know, David Singleton said he's exploring professional opportunities. Maybe that professional opportunity is in a suit and tie alongside Mick Cronin. Uh, we'll see. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with both of you in terms of, you know, in, in terms of his play on the floor, he's kind of not limited, but obviously he's strictly very, okay, I can't fucking speak. Yeah, I agree with you guys. Um, in terms of his play on the floor and his skill set, he's a bit limited. Obviously, he's primarily a sharpshooter. Um, we saw him struggle when he, he went to the basket. Didn't provide a lot inside, scoring-wise. I think his effort defensively is quite underrated. He doesn't have a, a, a horrible frame to be a, a decent defender, but it's not like he has a fantastic frame. And I just think his effort was solid enough. Um, in terms of his leadership, you can go on and on his devotion to the program, you can go on and on. I think it is pretty interesting to note that he actually had his second worst uh, three-point shooting season of his career. Um, I feel like there were a couple of games where he went nuts and you know was almost the reason that UCLA won, but there were also some games where they won despite not getting a good enough three-point shooting performance from their best shooter. Um, so I'm going to give David a B. Um, he's UCLA thick and thin. Um, he'll be a beloved member of this program, like Ben said. He'll probably be back um, eventually. Um, but, you know, when you're a sharpshooter and you kind of regress in your primary role, um, it's hard to give you an A and say that you're phenomenal. So I'll give a B to David, and that concludes the grades. Good job, guys. Long, long podcast. Fitting we ended on um, someone like David Singleton, who's meant a lot to the program. But thank you guys for joining me for the longest podcast in Out of Bounds history. Um, who else will be editing this besides me? I will be editing this. And so hopefully I can get it done in the next few days because this is a beast of a podcast. Thank you, Gavin. Thank you, Ben, um, for coming on and joining me to talk, you know, kind of like a therapy session to end, to wrap up this UCLA season, which I don't think ended how any of us wanted. Um, but that's going to wrap us up here at Out of Bounds. Out of Bounds is brought to you by The Daily Bruin, UCLA student newspaper. You can listen to this show and others by The Daily Bruin on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and SoundCloud. Thanks, everyone. <laughs>